everything college basketball listeners what's going on it's conrad cushman from everything pro wrestling everything pro wrestling is a show by the fans for the fans and i'm here to let you know how you guys can catch up on all the latest and greatest in the world of pro wrestling you guys can go to youtube.com type in everything pro wrestling give us a subscribe we are over a thousand subscribers now and we have achieved a youtube partnership If you guys want to be in the live chats, come on in, join us, and talk pro wrestling. We record AEW Dynamite every Wednesday. We also talk about WWE, Ring of Honor, Impact Wrestling, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and your local indies, and much, much more. So make sure you guys are subscribed to Everything Pro Wrestling. You can also listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. All the live streams are transferred right onto there. But enough of me talking about pro wrestling. Let's get you back to listening to everything college basketball. again and welcome everybody back to another edition of the everything college basketball podcast episode 92 don't talk about 92 because that was a bad year for the cats but i'm of course josh burton (laughs) that's so good i didn't think about that my name is peyton burton and you know what i'm talking about i I mean it was a great year because it was the first year back in the tournament patino had got the team going of course 92 is the year with the leitner shot that everybody replays it's one of the greatest shots of all time and i I mean if you talk about 92 as well our sister was born in 92 that's actually true which will lead us into something here in just a second because we have a very special guest joining us in person, in the studio, in the lab, cooking it up. Not with Tyler this time, but she'll be cooking it up with us in just a second. We'll bring her on. But Peyton, obviously today's show is brought to you by Manscaped. we got more information on Manscaped and our proud sponsorship and partnership with them here in just a little bit. Peyton, we'd be remiss if we did not open the show up. Sometimes sports, obviously we talk college basketball and sports, and that's a big deal. But nothing compares to the tragedies and uh, the catastrophes that happened this last Friday evening across the south central part of the America right now. Um, crazy. It's in December and we have massive tornadoes rolling through and ripping through and destroying everything in its path. Um, so I want to start off to show our condolences, our prayers with everybody down that was affected between Missouri and Arkansas. Uh, Southern Illinois, the St. Louis area, um, and of course, a state near and dear to us, the state of Kentucky, Western Kentucky was hit hard. The town of Mayfield was absolutely demolished. Uh, Bowling Green got hit hard. Paducah. I, the, this tornado cell that destroyed all of this from Arkansas to the state of Kentucky, the longest recorded in American history tornado stayed on the ground for 227 miles, a total of four hours as a category EF4, maybe the one that hits uh, the hit Mayfield and Bowling Green probably would get upgraded to an EF5, which is the strongest yeah. that uh, tornado could possibly be listed. Winds of excess to between 150 and 170 miles an hour. It's heartbreaking seeing the drone footage, the footage after, because this happened at night as well, which has always been a massive fear. Like I've, I've been through a tornado 
it was categorized as like a low EF1, and I couldn't even imagine anything stronger than that. You're talking about a tornado with excessive winds of 150 to 170. They even think maybe even a case of 200 miles an hour that just absolutely obliterated, sat on the ground for four hours, uh, 227 miles. It, it's absolutely nuts. Um, yeah, and it's heartbreaking, man. Seeing those scenes, seeing towns demolished, a lot of lives lost in a candle factory there in Mayfield. Um yeah, destruction in the bluegrass. There's some moments, our podcast is mainly a sports podcast and mainly surrounded by college basketball. That's why our podcast is called Everything College Basketball. But there's some moments that just are bigger than sports in general that we eventually will have to talk about. And this is one of them. Um, talking about that, almost that hurricane, but talking about that tornado that hit through Arkansas that went into Mayfield, Kentucky, and we are very lucky end up slowing down and just basically diverging and not getting towards where we're from down in Indiana. But one of my friends lives in Arkansas, and thankfully he's okay, but he uh, he said that it was definitely crazy. There was a lot that like a nursing home got destroyed in Arkansas, which that sucks to hear. Uh, the Amazon facility either in Kentucky or Arkansas, I don't remember which one, um, got end up getting hit. And there's a bunch of people trapped in that in the warehouse. It's it's tough to talk about. And our town, the way mine, Josh's hometown, I still live here. He doesn't. It's a very small town. And that tornado that hit in 2008 is an F1 or EF1. I couldn't even imagine if it was anything higher than EF3. This podcast might not, I don't want to get too dark because I'm not going to do that, but this podcast might not be a thing. Oh, yeah. Well, if it was an, over an EF3, because it would have shredded our town. Well, our sister and yes. myself was in a house with a girlfriend I was with at the time, and it literally came through. We were bunkered down holding each other. Well, it, it was crazy as an EF1. Yeah. An EF2 probably would have been hurt. An EF3 probably would have killed us. And EF4, I couldn't even imagine. Um, so definitely prayers to the, everybody affected, not just the Kentucky part, but everybody affected through those storms Friday night. Um, and uh, yes, the Kentucky, the Western Kentucky, Mayfield absolutely demolished. I, I'm actually, um, I want to try to get something together, see if we can partner with some people to do some kind of, just help and aid in the relief, money, clothes, some kind of donations. Um, yeah, because those people need it right now. One the last thing I'll say about this, because it's a tough situation to talk about, the beauty of sports, you know, take all the politics, take everything that happens in the world, throw it all the way. Because when it comes to sports, and especially when it comes to moments like this, that just destroy the community, don't matter if Louisville and Kentucky is the biggest rivals, it don't matter if Auburn and Alabama's big rivals in football, they all come together to help out a cause. And I think today, Gary tip off the Louisville-Kentucky women's game, uh, Kentucky and Louisville is like teaming up and having like you, as soon as you go to the Yum Center, you can drop off water bottles and stuff like that. So they're already doing something special to help, you know, relieve the aid that happened in Western Kentucky. It's just, it sucks. Players are everyone down there in Arkansas, wherever the tornado hit, it's stuff to talk about. And that's the beautiful thing. I'm glad you brought that up. Sport will like you can be divided and your rivalries and teams and universities but man at the end of the day we're all human and in this together and you mentioned the tornado i think it's 2010 2011 yeah. ripped through tuscaloosa you've seen auburn come down and help um you've seen auburn alabama play a charity like football game where legends came back to raise money for tuscaloosa you've seen go back to 9 11 
Boston people comes down to New York, Red Sox and Yankees fans and Mets fans are all helping each other because then they were all in this together. And um, it's a beautiful thing. And yeah, you are starting to see the University of Louisville, University of Kentucky, people like that coming together, red and blue and green and purple for the Commonwealth of Kentucky and to help people because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. So anytime I've seen stuff from University of Louisville, um, athletics or players or Kentucky athletics and players that say, we love you, Kentucky. I'm sharing that because that's what matters. Like we can be rivals and we can have fun and poke the bear against each other. But at the end of the day, that's what matters. Um, but I did want to start the show off with that because that is very important that transcends sports. Um, but let's get into what we're here to talk about Peyton today. There is a curse on number one yet again. If you remember a couple seasons ago, we talked about it last or two weeks ago with Cook. Um, there is a curse on number one, it feels like, because we've had Gonzaga at the top of the heat. UCLA, for us, started the season number one. So we, as for us, we've had UCLA, we've had Gonzaga, we've had Duke, we've had Purdue, the first time ever number one. And we'll get into the review here in just a minute. The first time ever, number one, and they are zero and one, defending home turf or defending <laughs> that ranking. But like we've told people, shout out to our friend and sponsor JRO, obviously big time, long time Buller Maker fan. He's upset, but Tim Foster and all of us tried to tell him, dude, when you're number one, there's a target on your back, and everybody's coming to give you their best shot. That's what happened the other night. But Peyton, before we get in that, let's go ahead and bring in our special guest for the next couple of minutes. We call her our our Purdue expert, shall we say, tongue in cheek. But seriously, we're bringing on a special guest, and we just mentioned our sister. It is her oldest child, our niece, Jordan Davis. And the reason I, you guys have heard her before in the years past, where we she did her little thirty second spot, go ECB, go ECB. Mm-hmm. But for a nine year old kid, male or female. She kind of knows what she's talking about. Like, we we think that she has a, a career in this sports journalism deal. So we thought we'd bring it on holiday season, all about family time and uh, all that. So we thought we'd bring her on for a few minutes. So welcome to the show, our niece, Miss Jordan Davis. Hi. Is that what you're going to say? Just hi? <laughs> no, you got. Yeah, listen, um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you're on a world um, announced podcast here. Well, my parents my mom's a big kentucky fan my dad huge purdue fan so they've had a rival going on for many many years right and your mom of course out you know we're your uncles and your mom is our sister she went to kentucky for a little bit yeah. she went to kentucky yeah. so you've got the best of the both worlds right my dad my dad never went to kentucky we never went to Purdue, but he's been to many different colleges. Right. And you grew up a Boilermaker fan because of him, right? So let's, so let's go ahead and tell everybody. You were at Purdue's opening game this year, right? Yep. Right? And I don't. who did they play that night? Bellerman. Bellerman, that's right. Yeah. Bellerman. Yeah. So what did you think about him after seeing him in person? That, and that's not your first game you've ever been to, is it? Mm-mm. They want a big, big team, but they were pretty good. Right. Um. So how many uh, – I'm trying to think. How many Purdue games have you been to? How many times have you been to Mackey? Um, twice. One for that practice game, then one for the opening game. Okay, okay. So you, you kind—I mean, you—you're a Boilermaker fan. You kind of know what's up. Um, so who's some of the players that you really like from this Purdue team this year? Jaden Ivy and Zach Eady. Yeah, That's Zach Eady's the big, big one. Yeah, there's Purdue's mm-hmm. arguably two best players. You know, he's seven foot twenty. 
Really? No. No. <laughs> I, change, no. I change his height every time yeah, I talk about him. He is seven three though, and he's massive. Yeah. He's tall. Tell, tell everybody when you're because you guys set up at the top, right? One and how big he the, one row from the top. He looked maybe about my height from there, and I'm probably about four eight, four seven, and that's how tall he looked from where we were because we were on like one row from the top. But when I walked down to get snacks and stuff, I could, he was like massive. Because yeah. when me and my dad went in there, get something to drink and something to eat. And you're, keep in mind too, your dad is 6'8. 6'7. Yeah. Oh, 6'7. You're right. 6'7, yeah. 6'8. And he's no, he's not a small person himself. And Zach, uh -huh. he makes him look small. Yeah. Right. So yeah. what, tell everybody what you, that's like me and your, me and your uncle's never been to Mackey. We're going to try to change that soon. Mm -hmm. What, what's some of your favorite things about going to a game at Mackey Arena? And they had the, as soon as you walked in, you could see like the big cases of trophies that they have. And then they have like little, just like tables set up where you can go and buy, like get stuff. And at this one booth, you could go get posters. And then if you got download an app on your phone, when the players were getting announced, you you flash the light oh, while uh, they were getting announced. Yeah, I think Kentucky does something similar, yeah. not for the lineup, but for throughout. It's like the Kentucky, might do the same thing. Yeah, the Kentucky remember. FX thing. Yeah. Um. So so what about um watching a game there? Is it cool? Like the like the. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But it was loud when the buzzers went off. Right. right. Did what about the crowd? Did you do the chants with them? Yeah. What was some of the chants they did? I forget. You forget? Did they do the boiler up? Boiler, 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 boiler. Did they do the famous IU sucks chant? No. Oh, they didn't. Mm -mm. Okay. So let's get down to it then real quick. Okay. So obviously you're your boiler makers, number one team mm -hmm. in the country for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. I know your dad was excited because he's never seen it before. Go ahead. One quick, one question. Mm -hmm. How old are you? Nine. So what? I'll be 10 in three months. So you went to Mackey at nine years old. Mm -hmm. Was that your first college game? Um, my dad and mommy took me to a Kentucky game before. How old were you when you went to that one? What do you remember? Like a baby. I, it took me 21 years, <laughs> 20, 21 years before I even went to a college game. And you've done it pretty much as a baby. She's grown up into it, bro. Like she's like her dad is a referee. He played basketball. We know him real well, right? So she's grown up in the sport. That's why I'm saying, guys, at nine years old, she knows a lot about the game at nine um, that we'll talk. And it's funny. I know she's kind of – I think you're a little nervous right now. But if yeah. you ever, like, you've ever hear her talk, like, watching a game, she knows what she's talking about. People when, like, she'll call travel. She'll she knows Oh, yeah. She, she'll, she'll know what she's talking about. So don't discredit her just because she's nine. That's why we say I think she's going to be a good sports journalist one day if she wants to be. Um, but real quick, your Boilermakers, number one for the first time ever. Real quick. Yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I know this is a um, football podcast, but go Aaron Rodgers. That's right. Go Pat, go yeah. tonight. Yeah. Um, but real yeah. quick, though. So the Boilermakers are number one for the first time yeah. ever. They just tuck it over from Duke. I think they're the best team in the country. And then they go to Rutgers first time in a Big Ten game on the road, and they get beat by a half quarter. Yeah. Okay. What what's your what's your thoughts little, on that? It was a little after a half court shot. I didn't actually watch the game, but my papa told me when he came over to take us to school, he told me Purdue's not number one. 
basketball anymore. They got beat by a half-court shot. It's maybe like one or two steps over the half-court shot. Yeah, and they um, it was a big-time shot from Ron, Ron Harper Jr. from Rutgers. Yeah. But, look, that's okay. Um, like we tried to explain to other Purdue fans is that once you're number one, everybody's going to get your best shot. Yeah. Or you're going to get everybody's best shot, I mean. So, I think Purdue is going to be okay. What? So, at the end of the year, what do you think? Do you think Purdue can make the Final Four? Um, Yeah, maybe even win the championship. I think that they could. I really think that they could. Do you think Purdue is going to sweep Indiana again this year? Um, Well, because is pretty decent this year. Yeah, but Purdue seems to be a little bit better because they haven't ever won a championship before. And I don't even think they've been number one before. If they have, it's been a real long time ago. Right. Yeah, no, you're right. They've never been number one. They've yeah. never won a title. And you know when their last time their final four was? Like maybe 20 years ago. Uh, longer now, 40. Yeah. 40. 1980. 1980. You know who won the title that year? Louisville. The Louisville Cardinals. <laughs> Poopy. <laughs> Poopy. But okay. it's, it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. Listen. It's been a long time, but you guys have got a good chance, I think. So yeah. final four, I think I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking I'm there with you. So let's we got some games we're gonna preview here in a little bit. We'll go full in depth. But I'm just gonna ask you, okay? And you just give me the winner. And if you got any thoughts on it, let me know, okay? So um some big games this week. Mm-hmm. Purdue and Butler up um, in Indianapolis on Saturday. Who do you think's gonna win? That's preseason. Don't yeah. <laughs> May. You know, there's a 50 50 chance Purdue's pretty good, and then Butler's also pretty good. Like, like he said, Purdue just took it after Butler. So, Butler was number one till Purdue took it. So, they're probably neck and neck here. So, but if I could choose anyone, I'd go Purdue. That's right. That's who I'm going with. And then just give me a winner on this one Indiana or Notre Dame. Who's going to win that one? Notre Dame. Notre Dame. I like it. I like it. All right. Well, Again, this is our niece. We thought give her some shine because I think here in 25 years, you're going to see her on whether it be ESPN or CBS or I think you're going to see her if that's a past you follow. Trust me. I'm serious, guys. She really does know her stuff for nine years old, like knowing what's up with the game. So, again, Sissy, thank you for joining us. Um, it was fun. We'll have you back on some other time. Okay. Um, but until then, um, thank you for joining us. And um, – We'll we'll talk to you after the show, okay? okay. Love you. All right, love, love you. Bye, kid. Bye. All right. That was Jordan Davis, future uh, future uh, sports reporter for whoever, whatever national national publication is the big time in twenty five years. I really do, seriously, I really think she's got a lot of talent. I'm gonna be honest. Obviously, I knew like the whole poo background that they've never been number one and they never won a national title. I am shocked that she actually knows that at nine years old. Uh, I'm telling it's, you, it's it's wild. Like she probably knows more at nine years old than I did on her own age. I'm telling you, man. It's like if you ever like just sit, she's at a game with you or watching a game, you, she'll like say stuff that you're like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like you know, she's not gonna go full in depth breaking stuff down, but she's gonna be like, oh, he traveled for sure. Or like, oh my God, what a turnout. You know what I'm saying? Like stuff that you wouldn't think about, like a nine-year-old would say. She's she knows. Most kids at her age, it's when they go to the basketball games, college, high school, even in the NBA, most of the times they're either running around or they're playing on the phone. It's a rarity that they're actually like watching the game and they're able to talk about it. But she's definitely one of those people 
and um, that can talk about it. How many? She, I mean, of course, Jaden Ivey and Zach Eater, the two big name Purdue players. But I've heard her talk. She can't say Sasha Stefanovic's last name, Neither but she could. knows them by name. Yeah. Like she knows who they are. Um, there's a lot of grown people that don't know this. Like Cook. <laughs> God love Cook. <laughs> but Peyton, again, number one falls. We'll get into the Purdue uh, upset here in just a minute. I want to take a few minutes here as well before we get into recaps and stuff. I want to talk about conference strength. We've discussed it in a little bit here, but I want to talk about conference strength as we sat here on December 12th. There's a lot of shakeup. I still believe the SEC pound for pound is the best conference, but I'm telling you right now, I think we are under, like we are basically sleeping on the Big East. I think the Big East is very good this year. They might get six or seven teams in. I wish I got this stat. I don't know who posted it. I don't think I can get it in time, but they're talking about the net rankings for like the whole conferences combined. Kansas was number one. They had a net ranking of like 44.7, which is the lowest out of all the conferences. And I think Big East might have been second. It was definitely top three, and I think SEC was right behind them. But I agree, there's so many good teams in the Big East Conference. It's a rarity. I love the old Big East Conference, and I'll talk about a game later on that made me feel like the old Big East was back again. But if you had told me two years ago, five years ago, even before the season started, the two best conferences in college basketball right now would be the SEC at number one and potentially the Big East at number two, I would probably think you're crazy especially over the Big Ten, the ACC Conference, which have been the two top conferences for the past, like, decade. Yeah, and looking at Lenardi's most recent breakdown from Friday, he's got the Big Ten with nine teams. I think that is ludicrous right now. I don't see nine teams in the Big Ten that's tournament good right now. The SEC and the Big 12 both have seven. The Big East have six. But I'm telling you, the Big East teams that he has in, uh, I guess I'll have to scramble here to find them. But let's see. Let's go down. Uh, Biggies, biggies. Xavier, obviously. Yes, tournament team, right? Yes. Providence. Okay. Good team in Providence. Um, UConn, yes, a tournament team. Uh, Seton Hall, absolutely a tournament team. Providence. Marquette, yes, a tournament team. Villanova, of course, a tournament team. Um, who am I missing here? It was Providence. Oh, I already mean. said Providence. Oh, yeah, you did. My bad. But I, I'm still like, of course, we'll get into it. DePaul's sitting here at seven and one right now. They've got a couple marquee wins on their on their docket. They could be bubblicious right now. You, there's Creighton. Creighton's a tournament team in my eyes right now. So the what I'm getting at, the long and short of it, is the Big East. I think is very undersold and how good they are right now. Um, some big wins yesterday. I know that big wins over the weekend for the Big East. But what kind of what's your take on that as well? The Big East, the SEC kind of leading the way, the Big 12 right behind it? I think the Big East, they got a couple of national title contenders. The main important, the main ones is definitely filling over. But Creighton had a big win this Saturday against BYU. Um, obviously, DePaul beat Louisville at Louisville. Um, so that's a definitely not even just a, a season changer for them, but that's like a program reviver for them because they used to be pretty damn good. And uh, now they're back on the upswing with their new coach and everything. So they're trying to get back to, you know, being a tournament team and contention to win the Big East Conference. And I'm definitely, I definitely think they're on the right path to do so with that win against Louisville. But yeah, uh, Xavier's good. They beat the living shit out of Cincinnati in that big ass rivalry. Yeah. Um, there's some other good teams like 
uh, Connecticut's in there as well. So the Big East is definitely it's deep, talented, and uh, I'm glad it's to be Big East basketball's back, baby. How about the West Coast Conference? Four teams in projected in the tournament right now. That's wild. Gonzaga, St. Mary's, BYU, and San Francisco. And I know Gonzaga is here, – here's a bold statement. I know Gonzaga, as far as talent-wise, is the best team, but I don't know if they'll win the conference this year. I really don't. See, I don't know. I can't say that. I want to, but – they're going to win the conference again. I'm confident to say they're going to win. Uh, maybe BYU will give them a chance. Maybe St. Mary's will be giving them a chance. It seems like the past like five years, St. Mary's has been there, thorn in the side that they can't get rid of. Always seems to get them at least once. So we'll see. Uh, it's definitely wild to see the WCC conference being ahead of the Pac-12 with tournament teams. So Oh, and God, the Pac-12s. I garbage. thought they'd be so much better. It's garbage again. It's like it was three years ago. I it's thought they'd be so, so much better. ACC's awful this year. Nobody outside of Duke and Carolina. That's it. Essentially. So we'll get into all that as we progress. But I just kind of want to take a few minutes. Um, I'll save my my thoughts on stuff here in just a little bit because I have some interesting comparisons. Um, you know where I'm going with that as far as like say to the bluegrass goes. But Peyton, before we get into the recaps, we talked about this show is sponsored. Episode 92 is brought to you by Manscaped. Proud to say we broke the news on Friday that we have extended our partnership now into a paid sponsorship with Manscaped. I'll say that one more time. Thanks to the hard work and the following, the backing, the support of everybody out there at ECB land, ECB nation, whatever you want to call yourselves, right? ECB family. The work we've put in in the last essentially four seasons has led to a national name brand in Manscaped saying, yeah, let's partner. So we are under a paid sponsorship partnership with Manscaped for the remainder of the year and hopefully moving forward after that. So what a crazy time to be alive. But Peyton, it's a holiday season. What a better gift to give your man, the man in your life, or if you are the man in your life, <laughs> to... Protect them family jewels at all costs this this holiday season. Josh, Christmas is in 11 days. It's coming around just – actually, 13 days. Sorry, I can't keep track of my numbers here. Too busy thinking about Manscaped. Um, so, yeah, Christmas is 13 days away, a little over two weeks away. Christmas is just around the corner. So if you want the best products for your crown jewels below, you got to go to Manscaped, the leading men's hygiene brand. Men's Manscaped just launched new products, including the all-new Ultra Premium Body Wash and two-in-one shampoo and conditioner. It's time. It's time. It's time to give yourself or someone who needs it the gift of beautiful skin, hair, and balls this holiday season. With that being said, head over to manscaped.com and use code ECB for 20% off and free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and make sure you use code ECB. Fellas, it's time to clean up your nuts and make Santa proud this year. That's right, Peyton. It's that season to deck the holes and protect them balls. Manscaped.com. Use the promo code ECB at checkout. 20% off, free shipping worldwide. Manscaped.com. Now, let's go into the, the recaps from this past week of action, Peyton. More top 25 action. Of course, we talked about the upsets real quick. Number one falls 
in their first bid. We alluded to it just a little bit ago. Purdue goes on the road in a Big Ten class to play Rutgers, a struggling Rutgers team, a Rutgers team that had taken some pretty bad L's up to this point. But again, playing number one, it's at home. You need a win. And Ron Harper Jr. was the star amongst stars on Wednesday night. Hit, not only hitting the game-winning half-court shot, but late in the game, absolutely going to work on Purdue. Um, he ended up with 20, 20 some, I think. I don't have my the correct notes or the correct stat line in front of me. I'm trying to find it. Oh, the game was on Thursday. That's why. Oh, I, I said it. Wednesday, right? Yeah, yeah I said Wednesday. Thursday. Let me pull up the stats real quick. He had, I know he had, uh, let's see, 30 and 10. Oh, yeah, 30. Yeah, that's right, 30. He put up a 30-piece on Purdue. Double double, but again, great game. Um, Rutgers was down at half, or sorry, I'm sorry, Purdue was down at half. Rutgers rally or rallied back. Purdue gave them their best shot back. It's just down the stretch. Um, Trayvon Williams hits a hits a bucket that ends up tying the game up, or sorry, putting Purdue up. Yeah, put them up 68 67 with a couple seconds left, and Rutgers got the ball inbounded it quickly no timeouts to call or at least they didn't call one ron harper jr shakes a defender shakes another defender right just a step before half court heaves it cash money barbecue chicken walk off game winner rutgers not takes down number one and of course the crowd rushes the floor but that one's kind of just in that one my thoughts on this, talking about the game winner, after Tavion Williams hit that layup to pin him up one, the shot of the clock was like five, six seconds on the clock. Um, in that situation for me, if it's any, if it's under eight seconds, you don't call a timeout. And my, that's just my – especially when you're playing at home, you just don't call a timeout there, especially if you get the ball in your best player, which they did with Juan Hopper Jr. Purdue, I don't technically – I guess you can say it's a bad loss, right? Uh, Rutgers isn't terrible, but they're also not top of the conference either. They're about you know mid-state, mid-tier conference, mid-tier in the Big Ten conference. Um, and you should have won this game. Let's be honest. You should have won this game. Like you said, Jaden Ivey, he had a decent game. 15 points, one rebound, three assists. Zach Adi, uh, 13 and six. Stefanovic, 29 minutes, only had nine points, didn't shoot the ball well, three of 10 from the field. Um Trayvon Williams, though, came off the bench at 21 and 11, 9 of 17 from shooting. Uh, rebounding, Purdue won that, 30-22. Turnovers, Rutgers had more turnovers. Uh, Three-point th- three percentage, Purdue couldn't hit shots. 7 of 26 from the three-point line, um, which Rutgers ended up shooting 50% from the three-point line. Uh, what else? Everything else, uh, Rutgers had more fouls. If you look at the stats here, besides three-point shooting, Purdue should have won this game. Yeah, there's a couple drive possessions Purdue had. And Rutgers, you got to give them credit, man. They're late in the stretch, the final 90 seconds. Ron Harper Jr. just went to work. Unconscious. He, um, I don't remember who Purdue had checking him at the time, but he had one where he – not Kobe. I'm not talking about the fadeaway, but he basically backed down whoever was defending him and hit a nice little turnaround jump shot to give them um, – to, you know, is either to tie it or give them the lead at the time. But he was unconscious, basically. He was unconscious that whole second half. Tremendous game from the senior, and it keeps Rutgers alive. Alive, kind of. Like I said, they've had some bad losses. Purdue, though, this is a lesson learned. This is a lesson learned. It's e- it's easier to get to number one than it is to stay at number one, and they found out the hard way. And I don't think this is the last time they're going to be number one this season. I still think Purdue is right there amongst the best of the best. It's life on the road in the Big Ten, no less. 
with a bigger target on your back, I think if Purdue learns anything from this is that you have to make every possession count. You can have no empty possessions, no matter who you're playing. And I think they're going to get better from that. And that makes them a more dangerous team. I don't think Ayeli lost an unranked opponent, but I mean, personally, I really don't think they should fall out of the top five, especially with. It'd be criminal if they fell the top five. It, I think it'd be done. They're going to be top five all season long. They're eventually going to get back to the number one spot. I said it last week. I didn't expect it to be this early. It's a carousel at number one right now. I didn't expect it to, to them to lose this early. First game being number one, you go on the road and lose, but that's just. That's just the pressure of being number one. It's the first time ever in the history program that you, that you are the number one team in the nation. And your first game, you got to go play a tough Rutgers team. Bro, or no home court. And home court advantage, last week I said it. We talked matters. about Yes, yes with the fans back, it matters. I mean, it absolutely – you feed off that energy now. And I see some old head Indiana fans. I'm talking about the, the ones that still remember IU's last title, their last couple titles. Um, and it, I get it, it's a rivalry. They're taking jabs. I've seen they're like, oh, Purdue's 0 1 is number one, da da da, and all this. I'm like, guys, you haven't time? been shit in a while. Why are you talking? Last time, plus, Purdue's your daddies right now. That's that. Yeah, that's it. The conversation, conversation's daddy. over. Yeah. Conversation's over. It's been five years in a row, correct? Yeah, and you're going to, I, yeah, you may even regret them words if you, and guess what. I don't see it changing this year. Indiana's going to be good, but I still think Purdue will probably sweep them again this year, and it's going to continue to continue to keep on getting worse for Indiana fans. Let's go ahead and use that as this brilliant segue. You can tell we've been in the biz for a minute. Let's go ahead and talk. Speaking of Indiana, they had a big one themselves. <coughs> they got a streak that they're trying to snap that's not Purdue. It's been 21 seasons now. Well, 20 seasons since they last went to Madison, Wisconsin, and took a win in the Cole Center. They had their opportunity. on This one was Wednesday night, right? Uh, yes, it Okay, was. so this one, I got it confused with Purdue. <clears throat> so on Wednesday night, they have a chance to stay unbeaten in uh, Big Ten play early on and get a very quality win against a top 25 seed or top 25 team in the Wisconsin Badgers and get themselves ranked in this upcoming week. Desperately needed it after taking the L at Syracuse. Indiana, Peyton. Up big at one point, correct? Up 22. Up 22 in the Cole Center. And then from there, describe what happened. They went on a huge scoring drop. It's two things for me. One from Indiana, they just went on a huge scoring drop. Couldn't find any rhythm. TJD did not have the best of games. Nine points, six rebounds. That can't be happening when you're the best player Um he, he won best player on the court. I'll tell you who was, but that's he's definitely the best player on this Indiana squad. You can't have only nine points and six boards, four of ten, four of ten from the field. But a, a lot of credit goes to Wisconsin and their defense in the second half. First half, I thought Indiana looked very, very impressive. Offensively, there was one there's smooth offense, um, getting in transition. TJD got some easy layups and dunks down low. Um, however, Wisconsin's defense stepped up huge second half. They shied away. They took TGD completely out of the game. Xavier Johnson was absolutely garbage in that second half. Pretty much first half, he didn't play too bad. Second half, he played like all he played off. I don't know how many turnovers he had. Um, he had a plus minus of negative two, but he had four fouls. To go, real quick, go to, to go to your point about Wisconsin's uh, defense, Indiana was up 17 at half, 42 25. They only scored 17 points in the second half. Lock them up. Johnny Davis. Let me pull up stats real quick. How many points did he have? Coming into, this game, yeah, coming into this game, 
he was on a four-game streak where he's scoring 15 points or more. And he's playing some tough teams like Houston and obviously now in Indiana. He had 23 points, nine rebounds. First half, he was quiet. Second half, he stepped up and showed why he's one of the best uh, players in the Big Ten Conference this year. He showed out. Brad Davidson, he had a decent game, eight points. Uh, Tyler Wall, 12 rebounds, cleaning up a glass. Indiana, it's fair to say they gave up this game because oh, it was up much. so much. Yeah. They try but to put you, on cruise control, but you of, can't win ball games when you can only, when you only score seventeen points in the second half and you go on a scoring drought of five minutes plus. Yeah, a it, lot of credit goes to Wisconsin's defense, though. But Indiana, you gave that the one Hoosiers up. are cursed in Madison. It's twenty one years now that they have not won in the Cole Center. They're absolutely cursed. And you mentioned Xavier Johnson. I've seen a lot of Indiana fans rightfully so upset, which is crazy because the dude was. Three rebounds and three assists away from a triple-double. 10.7 boards, seven assists. However, four of 16 from the field and down the stretch took some forced, terrible Dumb. shots God, when the ball should go to Trace Jackson Davis, especially in clutch time. Yeah, I agree. Most of those points came from first half, though. That's why I said he played pretty decent when it comes to the first 20 minutes of the game. If Indiana can eventually – it's like that Louisville situation about a couple years ago where we couldn't finish games. If we'd have played a good 40 minutes, we'd have beat Duke that year, but we just couldn't put it together. Same situation goes with Indiana. They just can't put together uh, a complete 40-minute game. They played great for 36 minutes. They even played great for 20 minutes and a half. But second half, they just laid an egg. And a lot of credit goes to Wisconsin. They're a really good team. Speaking of moving on, Indiana's loss before that, their last loss prior to that, was Syracuse up in the carrier dump, the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Let's go to Tuesday night in reverse the night before. Let's go back to Syracuse. <clears throat> they played a former Big East rival themselves, number six-ranked Villanova Wildcats. And Villanova takes down their former, former foes in the Big East, 67-53. Dropped Syracuse at the time to five and four on the year. Villanova went to seven and two after this. Peyton, another very good game from Justin Moore, 18 points to lead the way. Colin Gillespie, 14. Sort of a quiet night for him, but he still had 14 and five assists, three steals. Just another vintage Villanova performance. They limited Syracuse to 53 points. That's hard to do when you have the Bayheim buddies. The Bayheim buddies, get it? The Bayheim buddies going off and Really, though, Jimmy was the star, though. 21 points for the Orange. Buddy only six points off a of 3 of 15 shooting. Bad night to go cold. Um, Villanova tough as can be. I talked about it last week when we was previewing this game. I thought Villanova was going to be a mismatch. It was going to be a tough task for Syracuse in that zone. And the zone actually worked. Villanova shot 53-pointers. They said, fuck, we'll zone, you zone us, we'll just chuck Five them. out, we'll just no, we'll four just out only in. They shot six free throws. Six free throws, 50 attempts from three-point line. I, I don't think I've ever seen that You want ever. to see the story of the 20, game, though? Yeah, I was going to mention that. Yep. What is the hardest thing to do in the zone? Rebound. Villanova, 27 offensive rebounds. Jesus. 20. Seven, and that's all effort. Yeah. That's just guys. Look at everybody who had multiple. Caleb Daniels off the bench, four offensive rebounds. Uh, Cosby Roundtree, three rebounds. This is all offensive, I mean. Um, Eric Dixon, three offensive boards. Brandon Slater, two. Jamaro Samuels, four. Justin Moore, Colin Gillespie, one apiece. 27 offensive rebounds is ridiculous. 
Yes. It, this was wild watching this game. Uh, Colin Gus, we did what he did. You already talked about him. But, yeah, the rebounding, dominating the glass offensively and just rebounding in general. They just kept – Syracuse off the glass, and that's the hardest thing to do in the zone. Although, I wonder if that's a typo because those numbers don't add up. It says on Bleacher Report here um, that they only had 18 offensive rebounds. Okay, that's more 46 sense. 46 total to compare to a Syracuse 28. Okay, that makes more sense. Even still, 18 is a ton. It's a lot. The ESPN, their box score is wrong because then I got to looking it up, and that don't add up. It doesn't. But still, that's a ton. 18 offensive rebounds? It's a lot. That's a ton. Um, but that's the story of the game, right? Because they kept getting an extra chance and obviously shooting 53-point attempts. They were just getting rebounds, kicking it back out for three. Um, and that's the thing about Syracuse's zone, right? They want you to settle for those shots. If you beat them from three, then you beat them. They don't want the ball funneled to the middle, then going to the dunker spot and beating you like that. So they that's in a weird way, that's exactly what Bayheim wants is like, Take 53s. They hit 13. Okay, then you'll beat us. That's right? fine. We'll live with it. But if it's like Indiana or somebody else, you take 53s against them and only hit six, Syracuse beats you every time. Yeah. Right? So that's kind of the, the deal to it. Jimmy Beheim has been phenomenal lately. 38 minutes, 21 points. He's really came over and helped out. Now he just <coughs> needs – that's the thing. Syracuse – Jimmy play good, and then Buddy will play good, and Joe Girard will play good. But it's rarely that you get all three of them clicking at the same time. And how about Cole Swider getting beat by his former Villanova squad? That's only puts true. up five points. He had 12 rebounds. He had 12 though. boards, yeah. yeah but only boards. five points against his former club. You know he was probably pressing to really show him something. I don't know if you actually talked about this, but Syracuse had no bench points. No bench that points. Point. That's right. All five starters, starters scored the 53 points. So another good win for Villanova. Syracuse has got to figure it out because I'm disappointed in them. I thought they'd be so much better coming off that phenomenal NCAA tournament run last year um, where they made the lead. Eight. Was it lead eight they made it to or Sweet 16? Uh, I think it was, was a Sweet, Sweet 16? 16, right? Yeah. Because Oregon so. State beat them, I remember. But, um, yeah, good win for Villanova. Syracuse needs to be better. Uh, speaking of Syracuse as well, they actually took another elegance, another former Big East opponent Saturday. Bad loss in this one to Georgetown. Um, how about the freshman, uh, Amino Muhammad, 23 points? I talked about it earlier. This felt like an old Big East game. Uh, D.C. was lighting it up. It was loud. The second half was so fun to watch, man. I am so happy. I love that game. It was so fun to watch. Back and forth action for the whole 20 minutes of the second half. And George Shining, I'm getting the dub. Old Patrick Ewing, every time you think that, oh, this is it, he'll pull out a rabbit out of his hat, like winning the Big East was, Conference Tournament last year. They was down like 10 points or more in the first half, and I just kind of stopped watching, and I seen it was a closer game, so I'd seen it coming back. The last 16 minutes was just incredible. Let's stay in the Big East. How about – dude, our uh, transitions have been fired today so far. Listen, How about man. this for a transition? Staying in the Big East, a big top 25 matchup happened on Friday night. Up in New Jersey, where Seton Hall resides, um, Seton Hall takes number 23, Seton Hall, 64, number 7, Texas, 60, another loss for Chris Beard's men. Peyton, what's the story? How great Kevin Willard is doing as a job as the head man up of Seton Hall since taking over? Or Chris Beard's team may be slightly overrated? That. I think I it's another situation where I said about Michigan last week. I think I just overhyped them. I looked at oh, all this the, was Thursday as well. I, I have my days all mixed up. This was on Thursday night. Yeah. Yeah, it was on Thursday. Yeah. Um, however, like I, like I said, I think I overhyped this team. 
uh, coming into the season. I thought they'd be so much better, man. If you look at just the talent, you look at the score sheet, or you look at the player roster, they've got so many players like Timmy Allen, Marcus Carr, um, Courtney Ramey, and Andrew Jones coming back. They got so much talent. Debbie Nasky transferring in from Kentucky. So much talent on this roster. And yet they're just not clicking. Like the chemistry is just not there at all. Marcus Carr, dude, what are you doing? Five of 14 from the field, 10 points. You've got to be kidding me. He came in as a prolific scorer. He lit it up uh, in his years at Minnesota. And he just came to the Big 12 in Texas. And now he just. He's been very underwhelming. He just hasn't adapted well to the Big 12 or to Texas. I don't know what the deal is with him. Maybe he needs to be more aggressive, um, or maybe he just not adapting well. It makes it take some time. But Timmy Allen, he had a decent game. Him and Trey Mitchell uh, led Texas. They both had double-doubles. Uh, but Seton Hall, man, after losing Mama Kelly Sheevely, um, obviously Miles Powell for a couple years ago, it's uh, they still got Bryce Aiken coming off the bench, 10 points. Uh, Samuel, seven points, 11 rebounds. This Seton Hall squad is definitely very, very talented. Kevin Willard's done a tremendous job at Seton Hall. Before he got there, Seton Hall were down on their luck. They weren't even sniffing the tournament. Now they're a perennial tournament team, perennial top 25 team, and the beat keeps going on. They're eight and one, man, and all the talent they've lost in the last couple seasons, it's tremendous. How about Jared Roden leading, um, leading the Pirates? 18 points. Yeah. 18 points, uh, five boards. Um, Yetna 12 and 11. It's just there's no one superstar. Bryce Aiken's the kid I thought would be the superstar, the former Harvard transfer bench, yeah. coming off the bench now. 10 points off the bench, one of eight from three, but still Miles Kale, 10 points. Kadari Richmond only had five, but Ike Obiagu only two. But he what he does down low, he only played five minutes as well. But normally, yeah, I'm go back to Michigan game, everything his presence down low. You know, a shot blocker, rim protector makes a difference. It's just, I think Seton Hall just outwheels teams right now. I think they're just so nasty. They held Texas to 60 points. Yeah. 23 in the second half. I think they're just nasty and physical, man. They remind me of a big 10 team, the way they play. Yeah. I know. I agree. Seton Hall is definitely going to be giving Villanova at least some challenges in the biggest conference, along with everybody else in the conference. But Texas, man, you got to figure it out. One of 13 from three-point line, 8%. You've got to be able to hit some shots and open this game up. The fact that you only scored 60 points with all the talent that I already mentioned, it's ridiculous. Chris Beard, got to figure something out, man. And Seton Hall won the game from the free throw line. They yeah. uh, they shot 10 times or 10 more free throws than Texas did. Hit Went 13 of 19 from the foul line. That ended up being the ball game. Great win for Seton Hall, Peyton. I'm – Kevin Willard, man, I don't think he gets enough credit for the type of job he's done at Seton Hall. One of the most, probably one of the most underrated coaches in the game. Absolutely. Right and he is a Rick Patino disciple. He is. He was on Patino's staff a number of years back. So good on Seton Hall, Texas, though. Maybe not quite the team that we thought they were right now. At least not yet. At least not yet. Let's go look. Or, well, actually, I was going to say let's look ahead, but we've got to talk about the struggles in the bluegrass. We, we've done individual videos. We've done post games for people in the Facebook group can go back and we won't spend a lot of time. But let's start. I'll, I'll drown my sorrows first. Kentucky, obviously, take the L to Duke. Haven't played really anybody since then. Got a bunch of cake, or cupcakes, a terrible schedule. But now we're in this part of the season where things get tough. First true road game. First real game since 
Duke back at the beginning of the year. Kentucky, yes, last night on Saturday, goes on the road at the South Bend to play a struggling Notre Dame team. Same Notre Dame team that got blitzed by a bad Boston College team. Um, not a good team, but they're back home. They retired LaFonzo Ellis's jersey, put him in their, their ring of fame or whatever that's called. Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor. Um, shout out EPW on that one for yes, those who sir. get it. Uh, they actually, Ring of Honor actually pay per view last yeah, time. Just had their final pay So that's fun. But nonetheless, Kentucky goes on the road. Um, and the start of the game, it was fun back and forth. It was an entertaining game. Nobody really pulled. I think five points was the biggest lead going both ways. And long, the long and short of it is Notre Dame 66, Kentucky 62. Bad loss. I don't care. It's on the road. It's not the same Notre Dame team that five years ago this would be a, you know, you could justify it. It's a bad loss to a bad Notre Dame team. And they got outplayed. They got outcoached. Oscar Shibway was the best player on the floor, 25 points. He only had, I think, eight rebounds, nine rebounds. He had seven. Seven. One rebound in the second half. But he's turned himself in such a dominant force in the paint, hitting mid-range jump shots. The ball should have been played through him every possession. Every possession. Kentucky, been shooting the ball decent from three to start the year off, but now currently in a struggle. Um yeah, it was. It's a bad loss all the way around. I, I've kind of aired my grievances on the the post game last night, so I'm trying to be more diplomatic about this. But it's a bad loss. You got players that need to. How should I put this? If you got a guy that's hot like Oscar, the ball should touch his hands every time, and that did not happen. Couple questionable non foul calls at the end, but that ultimately didn't beat Kentucky. Bad three-point shooting. They took care of the basketball. Only five turnovers on the road. Savir Wheeler, Notre Dame, backed off. Dared him to shoot. Savir could not hit the broadside of a barn. Kept forcing. Keon Brooks made some terrible IQ basketball plays, taking long jump shots. <laughs> Notre Dame won this game because they gang rebound. They out-rebounded Kentucky, who is the best rebounding team in college basketball. Coming into this game, had a plus-19 rebound margin over their opponents. Notre Dame out rebound them. I think it was 30 to 24, 22, something like that. 33, 28. 33, 28. Out rebound them because they gang rebound and they fought for it, hit some shots late. And Notre Dame, congratulations on the win. Kentucky, Peyton, I'm going to let you say something. And then I've got an interesting, just an interesting thing I want to say about this. Yes. So, my couple thoughts on this, on my cup of tea, on this whole this game. Uh, like you said, it was a very fun game to watch. Notre Dame, talking about home court advantage. The Irish, the fighting Irish came, they came prepared, had the game plan coming in that they were just going to try to surround Oscar Sheboy as much as possible, especially on the glass. And they did a very good job keeping him off the glass in that second half. All you mentioned, he only had, he had six rebounds in the first half, seven total, uh, one rebound in the second half. So they did a, they did what they needed to do, and they kept him off the glass for that second half. However, the reason Kentucky did not come out of South Bend alive with the victory is a couple of reasons why. Josh, you know this better than anyone. You can teach, you can help kids uh, shoot the ball better. You can teach them how to shoot free throws. But one thing you cannot teach that comes with time of playing is basketball IQ. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It comes and goes. You either have it or you don't have it. Kentucky last year, B.J. Boston didn't have it. About 10 years ago, Archie Goodwin didn't have it. This whole Kentucky team don't have it, at least not the guards, at least, especially Xavier Wheeler. I think, because after the game, 
we did our post game live, and then one of our group members, Tim Foster, called you, and we talked to him a little bit about it, about this game. I think, me personally, Xavier Wheeler is trying too much to be like De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox was very, very quick. People would sag off him. He couldn't really hit jump shots, even though he could, at least a little bit. But what made him so good, and I remember this Louisville game, anytime we would go under the screen because we're daring him to shoot, he would still find a way to control his speed and finish out the rim, and that's something Savio really cannot do. He's a great assist man. He can get about 10 assists a game if he wants to. He's still right there in the nation's lead, 7.7. But he has to learn to slow down before he he can go fast. I think he's he's trying too hard to be like De'Aaron Fox is right now. Um, and that's hurting, that's derailing his game. Race car drivers understand this analogy, especially a uh, dirt track driver. Um, hello? Oh, there it is. We're fine. We're fine. Um, sorry, guys. There was like an audio thing that popped up. I hope everything's still going well. But um, – if you go barreling in on a slick track and try to think you're going in there 100 miles an hour, you're going to – you're a wreck. You're a spin. Yeah. You're not going – sometimes you have to slow down, change of speed and direction, and then hit the gas when you need to. That'll make you faster yeah. instead of just 100 miles an hour. So I completely agree. Um, Kentucky's shooting 30% from three now. After a couple weeks back, they were shooting up there in the high 30s, close to 40%. So a big drop in three-point – which is crazy because they've got three-point shooters. They're just not having three-point makers right now, which is a big difference. Again, Calipari, um, I don't understand his rationale and substitution sometimes. Early in the game, Ty Ty Washington has six quick points, killing Notre Dame off of simple ball screens and just hitting jump shots. So he takes him out, cools him off. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, yeah, so speaking of Calipari, some interesting stuff. I just want to put it out there. You guys heard my thoughts on Cal before. I think he's great, but I think the game has passed him by now because he's stubborn and not willing to change. Um, in the last – okay, so John Calipari's record versus Power 5 opponents in the last 27 games is 9-18. and 18. That's not top 25. That's just against another Power 5 school, like a Notre Dame that's not very good. Yeah. 9-18 and 18 in the last 27. Other stats, these are more mind-blowing, and I, I understand, like, longtime Kentucky people will understand where I'm going on this. So, in the last – we're comparing the last five seasons of Calipari to the last five seasons of Tubby Smith. In the Tubby Smith's last five years at Kentucky, he went 131-40 and 40 with always making the tournament. During his whole time at Kentucky, he never missed a tournament. Goes 131 and 40, a couple second round exits, and then mixed in with two elite eights. 131 and 40. And Calipari's last five, we're not counting this season right now. So last year and the four before that. Basically, since uh, Wisconsin destroyed the psyche of this program in the final four, Calipari is 122 and 46. 122 and 46. Six more losses, nine fewer wins. And even if you add this season in with Kentucky being seven and two, that add that he's still not even he's still two wins behind Tubby and eight losses ahead of him. 
And in those five years, Kentucky's missed the tournament. Of course, the COVID year, right? So that's not fair. That yeah, that arguably was going to be a team that's Final Four good, right? And um, two Elite Eights and a Sweet Sixteen. Is there much difference? The reason I think a lot of people got tired of Tubby is because the style of play wasn't always attractive because he's such a great defensive coach. Like our teams would be so good defensively and offensively would look boring, right? Um, and he got a little bit lazy recruiting. We weren't getting the, the top of the top anymore. But results were there. They're better than Cal's last five. Cal's bringing in better talent. If Tubby had that type of talent, shit. Imagine the results. Because Tubby, X's and O's, is very good. Cal's a defensive-minded coach. I don't know. And I've heard people say that maybe um, he should look to bring in an offensive coordinator type. Remember Beeline did it at Michigan. He did, yeah, and that's when Michigan was making them Final Fours a few years back, national championship games, because he worried about he let somebody else worry about teaching offense, and they became explosive, unguardable at times. You go back to Billy Donovan, that whole Florida program when he brought in—I forget the dude's name—but he brought in another coach to basically focus on offense. They went back-to-back national championships. It might be time to get somebody who's just an offensive genius to come in. Worry about that, and because Cal teaches defense, he's such a great defensive-minded coach. But it's time to do something, man, because this is not Kentucky anymore. Nobody <sighs> fears Kentucky coming to play. The early part of Cal's tenure, people feared Kentucky. Terrified. Terrified. It was over before anybody stepped on the floor. But, man, the game's changed since then. Since the Wisconsin loss after we got spoiled trying to go for an unbeaten national championship, We've had some good teams. De'Aaron Fox and them were good, but it's not been great. We've not had a Final Four since then. And the the overall deal is just not the same anymore. It's not the same. And the game's passing by. The dribble drive does not work unless you, you have the best of the best talent, which we haven't had in a number of years. When we play Duke, Duke's got the best player on the floor. When we play other teams, they've got the best player on the floor. We haven't had that in a while. And Cal system works based upon having the best player or players on the floor. If you don't, it doesn't work. And we've got shooters, but we're still running the same floppy set. And we're still running – like, for these shooters, man, this offense, he needs to just run a bunch of quick hitters. Stop. Do the vil- – I seen a comment on Twitter last night. If this Kentucky team with all the shooters on the team ran Villanova's system where it's a bunch of cutting and moving and spacing, we would average 90 points a game. With a big guy like Oscar in the middle to control offensive rebounds, we'd average 90 a game. But this system of the, the double horn set, the ball screen, dive to the post, get a post feed, um, isolate in the post, floppy action for a shooter, it's not working anymore. We need either to run a bunch of quick hitters or to go a Villanova style four out one in offense where you're cutting, moving continually keeping the defense on edge and creating openings because what we're doing now is not working and it's disappointing. And I don't know, man, I, I don't want to be that guy. I, I don't want to be that guy, but maybe Cal's race at Kentucky has been ran because if you're telling me right now that look what Nate Oates is doing in Alabama and we'll get to Alabama, what Nate Oates is doing in Alabama and what Cal's doing right now, there's not much of a difference. And Nate Oates is arguably doing it with a little lesser, 
of recruiting wise, even though his is getting better. So something's got to change, man. Eric Musselman. I don't know. I just think the game's starting to pass Cal by unless something happens. Um, he's got to be open to making a change. But yeah, those last five years, Tubby's more wins, fewer losses, the same amount of elite eights in the last five years and never missed the tournament. And so <clears> Cal's <throat> been at Kentucky and they both have one title, right? Cal, of course, got more Final Fours, but that was all early before everything changed. And um, Cal's missed the tournament twice now with the Cats. So it's a lot. There's a lot to take away from all the things you said. And all the things you said has definitely been true, and it's definitely been worthy of at least talking about this on live videos. And podcasts. I've got a clip I want to play real quick too from another show that I want to. It'll take thirty seconds once you're done. Oh, okay. So I personally think that Cal. He's going to get you to the tournament constantly, year in, year out. You're going to be a tournament team. And you're going to be in contention to win the SEC Conference every single year. There's no doubt in my mind that he'll get you to the tournament. But one thing you talked about, bringing in coaches to help with offense or defense, Talking about you talked about John Beeline. If we remember about five years ago, the team that they had, three years ago actually, excuse me, they had trouble really defending the ball. And he went and looked at a mid-major – I don't know who he bought in, but he went and looked at the mid-major coach who was year in and year out, was like top five, top ten in defensive efficiency on Kempom. So what he did, he brought him in. You won with him bringing in um, our first year doing this podcast when Michigan was top five all year round. They was number two or they was number one defensive efficiency team all year long, them, Virginia, and Texas Tech, all season long. So they fixed that those issues. I personally think, and I know I've talked about Coach Cal's 30 for 30 a lot in our years of doing this podcast, but one thing I've always thought about, and it's been leaning in the back of my mind, is I think when Coach Cal finally broke the hump and won that national title in 2012 with Anthony Davis, Marcus Teague, Lamb, and all the other Terrence Jones and all the other um, players on that team, I think he got demotivated, and I think he's like – because he even says in the in the 30 for 30, he told his wife after that, like, listen, we ain't got to worry about that anymore. So I think he's more worried about getting players from the NBA than actually getting to the Final Fours and actually compete for the national titles. That's my personal opinion, and I think the past five years, it's been pretty much spot on. Yeah. He's not getting the top players. He's not – recruiting like he used to. He ain't getting the John Walls. He ain't getting the Anthony Davises. He's not – he just – I think he's demotivated. And, and go back to the Tubby thing. A lot of people would complain because Tubby would always say, um, yeah, every year, same thing. Oh, yeah, we're going to speed it up. We're going to press. We're going to run more. And every year it would come out and be uh, more slow down, half-court offense. Well, Cal keeps saying like, oh, yeah, I'm, I need shooters. I need shooters. We're going to – well, we've got shooters. But – Look at this. Look at these stats and in Cal Perry since he's been at Kentucky. Three point shooting percentage. So far this year, team's shooting 30%. Okay. Last year, 33-6. The year before, 34-3, 35-4, 35-7. The best year under Cal Perry at Kentucky was 20, um, 2011. The final, the first final four team, the Brandon Knight and them, shot 39.7%. Ninth in the nation, three-point shooting percentage. But look at percentage of shots that come from three is always towards the bottom. This year, only 29% of shots coming from three. 333rd in the nation. A couple of years ago, 26.6%. His teams shoot take maybe roughly 30% of their offense comes from threes. 
modern day basketball, the best teams have 40, 50 percent of their shots from threes. Yeah. I'm sorry, but we need to up that. If you want more makes, you got to take more shots in a lot of cases, right? So why are we not taking more attempts? I don't understand. I'm going to play this clip real quick and we'll move on. Um, this is from, and keep in mind, Jeff Goodman is a, one of the most renowned beat writers for college basketball. He's <laughs> never been a Kyle Perry fan, but what he says here um, from their recent show, The Field of 68, I do think has some validity to it. Let me get it pulled up. All right, this is from Jeff Goodman and from the Field of 68 talking about Calipari and them. John Calipari, with equal talent, is he a good enough coach? That's my big – he's always had better than ta- better talent than just about everybody he's got up against. Now, Kellen Grady, if he was that talented, he would have been gone. Severe Wheeler would have been gone. Big Oscar would have been in the NBA. Well, they're not super talented. So now does John Calipari get exposed? I think the answer is yes. Um, it's hard to argue that right now. I think it's yeah, I think everything you said was spot on. Hard to argue that. So in my mind, Kentucky's 0-2 right now, but we will move on from the cats. You got something to finish that up? Yeah, on? that's always been the question when Patino was coaching at Louisville. Nine times out of ten, Kentucky had the best players on the court every single time he played. But and even though he would win majority of those battles, the question always been, if Patino had those players, who knows, maybe a couple more Final Fours coming out of Kentucky if Patino was still there with the same amount of players that Coach Cowell gives. Definitely, I, I believe that undefeated year, I think they would have won the national title because I think Patino wouldn't have been stubborn. He would have played guys like Tyler Ewis and Devin Booker. As we remember, Wichita State, the Final Four game between Louisville and Wichita State, we were struggling that whole game. What does he do? He brings on a damn walk-on. Right. Hits two threes back-to-back, and then all of a sudden, it we fly. the momentum. We went and win the game. Absolutely. Love Rick Pitino, um, and I'm, I'm with you. So, Kentucky struggling. Peyton, let's get to Louisville struggles real quick. Um, as we sit here and watch the Lady Cats versus the Lady Cards in a bluegrass brawl right now. So, well, I'll keep this short because I've already talked about it last week, and I'm not going to go on another rant like I did last week, but – the uh, struggles continue. We can't hit shots. First half in the DePaul game, we shot over like a very, I think, 19 threes in the first half and only hit one or two of them. Um, I think it was like three for 19, actually, now that I think about it. But it just, I've never seen a team who, in exhibition games, we can light it up. As soon as the season starts, we forget how to shoot the ball and we just go cold from three. It's Jalen Withers. He didn't start in this game. I called it. I said, Set him on the bench. Matt Cross has been playing well night in, night out. Give him the starting – put him in the starting lineup, and they actually did. But, however, we turned the ball over way too much. We can't hit shots. Our, def- our defense was solid. I mean, what did we keep to DePaul? I don't even remember. Was it, I don't even remember the final score of that DePaul game. 60-some. Uh, it was in the 60s like it's been all season long with us. But if we can hit shots, man, then our team changes – but we just can't hit it. And one thing I'll give credit to Chris Mack, I guess, is like I said, I'm slowly starting to turn on him. It's complete opposite of what we just talked about, Coach Cal. He don't want to change his ways. He keeps that same offense year in and year out, the same offense that's been around since he's been at Kentucky. But I will give Coach Mack credit, at least coming into this year, he's at least changed the offense some, and he has adapted to a more up-tempo type of style. 
Although I don't think it works. At least he's brave enough. Well, not brave enough. That's not the word. At least he's, you know, not stubborn in his ways and actually tries something different. Although it don't, I don't think it personally works. At least he's given the effort to at least try something to change the offense. But coming in, we got Kentucky, the game coming in about 11 days, 12 days. Um, so we'll see. Hopefully we can change. Hopefully we start hitting some shots. But right now it's just not good for us. All right. Well, we're done with the bluegrass struggles here. Let's go into rapid fire, Peyton. A lot of big games this upcoming weekend, or this upcoming week, I should say. Lots of them. So let's rapid fire them, kind of give some predictions and breakdowns and move on. Let's start on Tuesday night. We'll go from two struggling teams to another struggling team with a lot of talent. Number nine, Alabama, which that's going to go up. By the way, they just beat, we forgot to mention it last night too, late tip game. They beat a very good Houston side in a very good game at the horn, essentially. Um, and a question, maybe a, a goaltending call that didn't get called. But Alabama holds home court and beats Houston. Uh, I think it was 82-81 or 83-82. I don't have the final in front of me, but very good game. Both of those teams are final four good. Alabama is going to be top five, maybe, coming gotta be, tomorrow. Got to be top five. Nate Oates just continues to do it, man. Nate Oates, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Nate Oates is the best coach in the country. Oh. I He's he's beaten Duke in the past week. Uh, beat Gonzaga. He's beat Gonzaga. Oh, he did. My bad. He beat Gonzaga. Pretty much almost blew them out pretty much for the whole game, at least, until like the final two, like four minutes. And now he's just beating another top 15 team in Houston. The dude just wins. I don't know about you, but I think that's a lead eight matchup waiting to happen. I think both those teams could be a one and two seed respectively. And I think that's a – both them teams are great, by the way. Yeah. Both them teams are great. Um, so, big one for Alabama. But now on Tuesday, they get to play a struggling Memphis squad on the road – Despite all their flaws and Penny and everything going on, Memphis still got the talent to give them a challenge. So what's your prediction on Tuesday night? Alabama is going to go into Memphis and pen an ass whooping on Penny Hardaway. It's, they've lost four in a row. Yeah. Why would I change my opinions? If, this, if they play this game early on in the season, I think Memphis would have won this, especially on my thoughts on Alabama coming to this year. Um, before the four-game loss uh, streak between, with Memphis and Penny Hardaway, there's just no fluidity in the offense. He keeps pitting Bonnie Bates as a point guard, which he's not a point guard. He's a natural three, maybe even a shooting guard. Um, it's just a lot of bad things is going down there in Memphis. And Alabama is one of the hottest teams in the country right now. There's no doubt in my mind Alabama won't win this game by 15. How nine. big to get Jaden Shackelford back? Because he's playing like an SEC player of the year candidate right now. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. Um. So, it's a big week for Memphis, right? Because lost four in a row. They've got two big-time SEC opponents. going to be two top ten matchups, or, well, two top ten opponents for them. I'm with you, man. I think Alabama gets them. I really do. I think Alabama beats them by 12. Yeah. I'm going to say Alabama 82, Memphis 70. I'll tell you what, though. Talking about uh, not Memphis, but talking about uh, Alabama, and we was I think we, we was going to do a live video to preview this game, but just couldn't find the right time to do it. Um, 
However, I was going to mention if we did do a live video that coming into the Houston game, the Houston Alabama game, Houston's only gave up 70 points or more in one time this season. And that was the first game of the year where they gave up 75 points to Hofstra. And Alabama went in and picked up 80 points on them. That just shows how good Alabama is at storing the basketball at will. So Memphis, you ain't, I mean, you might shock me a little bit, but I doubt it's going to happen. Alabama's going to win this game 15 and 1. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, let's go ahead and talk about Memphis's other big game. On Saturday, they play host to in-state rival number 13, Tennessee. The Vols are getting red hot right now. They are playing very well, getting red hot. Um, this would put Memphis at a six-game losing streak if they lose. I'm going out on a limb. I think that they've got to win something here soon. They've got too much talent to not. As great as Tennessee's playing, we've seen how ugly of a game they played against Texas Tech. It was brutal. Oh, my. That's the one of the worst games. I'm so happy you mentioned that. That's one of the worst games I've ever seen in my life. The shooting was awful. Holy hell. Brutal. Um, Memphis is a good defensive team. They could give Tennessee those type of problems and drag them into deep waters. So I'm going out on a limb. I'm going to say Memphis upsets probably a top 10 Tennessee team. I'm going to say they beat them in a bowling shoe ugly as Jim Ross Another would say, um, I'm going to say it's going to be Memphis 54, Tennessee 51. It's going to be six in a row for Memphis, and I'm going out on a limb, say, after this game, because it is a big rivalry game, Memphis and Tennessee, in-state rivalry. Um, you know the past differences between Penny Hardaway and Rick Barnes. They obviously don't like each other. Um, so I'm going to go out on a limb, say Tennessee's going to win this game, and Penny Hardaway gets fired. Oh, Damn, just completely unraveled. I mean, six in a row. It's his best team he's had um, since he's been there. He's got the talent. He just – he needs to hire – or he needs to let Larry Brown or someone just yeah. do the access and those because he ain't got it. He can recruit well, but he just can't – he don't have an access and those. And this argument that just because Pen- – Penny's very basketball smart. Penny's very bad. But there's a difference of being basketball smart and knowing how to coach AAU than coaching college. There's a complete difference. I'm sorry. So, I don't know. But I, I think Memphis can at least steal that one. We'll see. Um, how about this one on Friday? Big East Clash. Number six, Villanova at Creighton. Creighton coming off of a big win. Do, can the Blue Jays hold the home court enough to give Villanova a scare? Fact, yes. I think they'll at least give them a scare. But Villanova has shown, especially in this Syracuse game, that even if they're not hitting shots, which they weren't in the Syracuse game, they still find a way to win, and that's what top teams do. So, therefore, Villanova is going to get a big road victory. I think Creighton should be ranked coming into – I think they're now they're 7-2, and 8-2 will be coming into this game. Uh, they should be top 25 come Monday or come tomorrow. Um, so it should be a top 25 clash, but however, I think Villanova is too, uh, too, uh, too good. And they're going to be able to hit some shots. I think that last game is just a fluke and it's not going to happen again. So Villanova gets the job done in a very, very close game. Yeah. I got Villanova squeaking one out as well. Um, yeah, it's just, it, it's kind of their DNA, right? They make plays, but Creighton's kind of been tricky for them here in the last few years. Uh, Coach McDermott's team's always ready to play, so it's going to be really interesting. Um, I think it depends on guys like uh, Brian Nimhard, the freshman, Andrew Nimhard's younger brother, yeah. and Jordan Goldwire, how well is the backcourt they play. 
I think they'll keep it close. I think it could be a high-scoring affair. So I've got Villanova 87, Creighton 80, 82. I think that's about right. Yeah. That's good enough. Saturday, you see a bunch of games. We've got the CBS Sports Classic in Las Vegas, Ohio State, Kentucky, Peyton. I don't know. EJ Liddell is a player of the year candidate. He's been red hot. Ohio State might be one of the hottest teams in the nation right now, taking down Duke, taking down Wisconsin, playing a lot better. Kentucky, obviously, they know what their struggles are. Must get back to hitting the three better. Must be a better high IQ basketball team. Um, I love the Cats. You know how fair I am about this. My heart, obviously, is always going to say Kentucky is going to figure out a way. But Ohio State beat us the last couple times they've played us. They're playing well. And this is another type of team that will high IQ us to death with cuts, shot fakes, and everything. I think it's going to be a close game. Kentucky's not going to get blown out. But I think at the end of the game, again, it's going to come down to a couple bad decision-making and a guy like EJ Liddell hit, maybe hitting a couple shots or free throws. As bad as I hate to say it, I've got Ohio State winning 78-76. Uh, another good game, though. I think – yeah, I agree. No, I 100%. Kentucky's going on a two-game losing streak. Ohio State's winning this game. Easily Dell, like you mentioned it, um, and I posted in the Facebook group, he is a candidate. He's on that uh, Naismith uh, Award for Player of the Year. He's just lighting it up. He's been the consistent player that Ohio State desperately needs. And I said about a couple weeks ago that if he, if he can just get some help, that Ohio State can still be a talented team. And it's showing what they did against Duke and what they did against Wisconsin. The difference maker is there in this game for me. It's not just how E.J. Adele is going to play because he's going to get about 20 points in this game, I believe. I don't think Kentucky is going to be able to guard him, especially out on the perimeter. However, Kentucky is 0-2. In big-time games so far this season, they lost against Duke, and they lost their first true road game against uh, Notre Dame last night, yesterday. Ohio State's 2-0. They've beat Duke in a very good game, and they just beat Wisconsin. Whooped their ass. A good Wisconsin. Well, they're 2-1 because Florida beat them at the buzzer. Uh, Well, Florida beat them. Okay, well, they're more battle-tested then. Right. So, Ohio State wins this game. Fair. Um, the other part of that class, class, classic clash. Try saying that five times fast. Not even trying. Um, you'll eventually get to saying ass clash. Yep. Um, North Carolina UCLA, very interesting game. Um, UCLA is still good. They've not really had the start that we thought, but I still think they're good. North Carolina is getting better. Peyton, I'll take you. I'll let you take first volume on this because I think this is a pick'em. Upset alert. Carolina gets the job done. I'm telling you, this Carolina team, Hooper Davis, bravo to him. He's done a hell of a job replacing a legend and Roy Williams. Just kept the beat rolling with this Carolina squad. They're shooting the ball a lot better. The defense has gotten a lot tougher. I think UCLA has struggled. They struggled against Villanova. Got lucky to come out with that game alive. Got their ass whooped by Gonzaga. And I don't know who – I think that's really the only two teams they really face – um, obviously, the Washington game got postponed or canceled. Well, they, oh, they just beat Marquette on the road, Marquette, so yeah. that's a good win. Jaime Hawk is. However, I think this Carolina squad is on a roll here lately. Therefore, Carolina gets the job done in a close, low-scoring affair in the 70s. I'll just say it like that. Yeah, I, um, I've got UCLA <laughs> in this one. I agree with everything you just said. I think the difference in this game – R.J. Davis has been shooting the ball really well for He's North Carolina good. and um, Brady Manning. Not Brady Manning. Caleb Love. Caleb Love's been playing phenomenal. 
I think the, the difference in this is the versatility in the bigs. Who, who wins that matchup? Because you have similarities in a guy like Kame Hawkins Jr. who can step out. Same with Brady Manick and Dawson Garcia from North Carolina. But you also have Biggs and Miles Johnson from UCLA and um, Armando Baycott from North Carolina. I think it's going to come down to that type of matchup. If Dawson Garcia and Brady Manick can't hit enough threes to open up UCLA's tight, airtight defense and make Miles Johnson have to defend on the perimeter, UCLA wins. If they hit, then North Carolina wins. But I'm going with the experience in this one. I'm going UCLA to make enough plays. Hawkins Jr. with another double-double like he normally does. I do think Tiger Campbell has to be better. I think him against um, Caleb Love will be very fun. But I've got UCLA winning this one. I, yeah, I can see. Crossroads Classic. We alluded to it earlier when we talked with Jordan. Um, Indiana, this is the last time for this Classic, at least for the near future. Yeah. Purdue and Butler, first game up at the uh, – first tip up there in Indianapolis. I, Butler, I think – Right, they've got a win over Oklahoma. Obviously, Oklahoma has turned out to be pretty good so far, but they're so inconsistent. Purdue, again, I think they're still really good despite the loss. They're going to be pissed off. I got Purdue by probably twenty, to be completely honest. I'll I'll, I'll say a little bit lower since it's obviously a big time game. Um, I say they win by fifteen or more. Uh, Purdue's definitely, like you said, is going to be pissed off. They're going to play angry, and no chance in hell is Butler going to upset Purdue. That no chance in hell, but he's going to let two unlinked opponents beat them back to back. And then much. the other one, Indiana Notre Dame, a classic rivalry from years gone by with Digger Phelps and Bob Knight when they used to play regularly, home and away. Um, Indiana is the better team on paper. Can Notre Dame muster up enough to play like they did against Kentucky? Is the question. Peyton Blake Wesley's been really good for Notre Dame. He looks like a pro right now, but the best player on the floor is going to be Trace Jackson Davis. I think Indiana's style is a bad problem for uh, Notre Dame because, unlike Kentucky, they will feed their big man for the most part. They've got to take care of the basketball better. But I do have IU winning this clash against Notre Dame. I know I know what would happen if Indiana ends up winning this game. And you probably know where I'm going with this. If Indiana wins this game against Notre Dame, they're going to holler, obviously, that they're better than Kentucky since everybody, since Kentucky just lost Notre Dame. So I know that will probably happen. However, I actually think Notre Dame will win this game. I like the way this team plays. I think anytime you play against Kentucky, uh, you're trying your hardest to beat them because it's pretty much your national championship game. You always play up to par no matter how good you are. Um, I think Notre Dame's going to be able to keep the same momentum keep cutting in the end of the death like they did against Kentucky, and they'll be able to split them out and hit some shots. Notre Dame gets the job done, beats IU. Real quick, also on Saturday, we just talked about the devastation in Bowling Green, Western Kentucky. Louisville goes on the road to Western Kentucky. Western has always given Louisville and Kentucky the few times they've played major issues. Western's getting better. Peyton, is this one to be nervous about? Yes, I'm hella nervous about this. Uh, kind of actually – for, for some reason, I thought this game was on Friday, but yeah, it makes I totally forgot it was on Saturday. And uh, Western Kentucky is probably going to beat us. I don't think there's nothing. I don't think we'd be able to hit some shots. Uh, they're going to be playing tough on us, especially they're going to have the whole fan base backing them up with all everything that's happened. And it's going to be a big time game. And I think they'll be able to squeak it out. And once again, another low scoring game. 
by about maybe mid 60s, low 70s. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, not Wisconsin, Western Kentucky beats Louisville, unfortunately. I hate, I hate to say that. Does Baylor have any issues on the road to Oregon? Despite Oregon's terrible start, you know they've still got enough talent to compete with Baylor, and it's a late tip in the West Coast at Oregon, home court. They do very well holding home court. Is it enough to beat Baylor on Saturday night? Not even mention we forgot Baylor's actually going to play Villanova in about two I'm hours. getting there. I'm getting there. Okay, well. Don't spoil either, it. Well, either way, Baylor is winning this game, beating Oregon. Oregon's not what I thought they would be coming to this season. So, Baylor wins. One last one. You want an upset pick. We just waxed poetic about Kevin Willard and Seton Hall. They play host Saturday afternoon to Iona, yeah, his former employer, Rick Patino. Upset alert, Iona over Seton Hall. I almost picked that for a segment later on, but I decided not to because Iona's already got their two major wins so far this season. They're going to be making the tournament. They've beaten the top Liberty squad, and they also got the big win against Alabama, which is now looking like an even better win because that's pretty much going to put them top five now, Alabama. So I think it's going to be a really good game, but I think Kevin Willard, Gets the job done. Seton Hall wins in a close one. Let's start wrapping this show up, Peyton. Let's head to the the ever-popular Shooting Stars Sinking Ship segment. Peyton, Shooting Stars, these three teams absolutely deserve it. Arizona, just another big win on the road against another Big Ten opponent. Tommy Lloyd in his first year with the Arizona Wildcats, they're looking like the real deal. Going to be a top ten, maybe borderline top five team come Monday afternoon. Arizona on the rise, unbeaten, arguably the class of the field of the Pac-12 right now. Surprising. Yes. Well, I never would have thought it. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought Arizona would be this good this quickly uh, coming to this year. They're definitely they got really good wins. They just beat Illinois at 83 to 79 in a good game. Um, so they're on a roll right now, and they definitely deserve it, man. It's crazy to think that they're back – Pretty much at the top of the conference down in UCLA. The second shooting star, Seton Hall. We've talked about him throughout <clears> the show, Peyton. What Kevin Willard's done at Seton Hall is nothing short of remarkable. Yes, I was really going to use that word remarkable. It's been incredible. Those two, the, He's getting the job done with all the talent he's had in the past five years. He keeps on finding ways to win, and that's what you got to do, especially when you're, <clears throat> especially when you're in a big-time conference like the Big East. Got to learn how to win somehow. And they're doing it. And then the third and final shooting star, the Ohio State Buckeyes, as hot as anybody right now. Them and Alabama is probably the two hottest teams in the nation right now. Um, and I definitely think they're a candidate, especially easily Dell as a candidate for the player of the year trophy at the end of the season. And they're definitely going to give Purdue a run for the money this year in the Big Ten Conference. I firmly believe that. Sinking ships stay in the Big Ten. Ohio State's big mm-hmm. rival, the Michigan Wolverines. Tucking another L at home, no less, to a depleted Minnesota side. Peyton, what is going on in Ann Arbor? I don't know. I actually don't have the answer to this. They can't score. They can't defend. This is a game they should have blew Minnesota out by 20. They got the talent. It's not that they don't have the talent. They got the talent. But they just, I don't know, having to down you. And it's not getting any better. They're on the verge of not making the tournament. And then the the second and last seeking ship for this week, it's the number one team in America. That thing is cursed right now. It's a rotating, revolving door of teams. It's wild. It's like it was a couple years ago. Number one is cursed, and number one isn't safe. I'm going to have a third uh, seeking ship real quick. Yes, sir. 
I'm going to add Texas to this list. Oh, go ahead. They have not played well. They continue to struggle in big-time games. They got their ass whooped by Gonzaga, and now they just got beat by Seton Hall. They've got to learn how to win because they're a team that I thought was going to be competing with Kansas. Top of the Big 12, I was right on the Texas squad, but I was wrong on the which Texas squad it was because instead of being Kansas to Texas, it will be Kansas to Baylor at the top of the conference right now. They've got to learn to score the basketball better. Completely agree. Let's go into shout-outs, Peyton. Um, I will start with the man of the hour from Friday night in Louisville, David Jones from DePaul, 33 points, 14 rebounds. He lit up the Cardinals. I mean, he was so good in that ballgame. 33 points lighting up the Yum Center to go along with 14 boards. What a game. He dominated us inside and out. Three-point range, jump shots, mid-range, and layups. He just – we had no answer for him. So, that's good. I agree. Second shout-out for me goes to the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, What Rick Barnes – a little slow start, but now they're starting to really put it together. The number one team in adjusted defense on Ken Palm right now, the best defensive team in college basketball. No surprise to me because that's in Rick Barnes' DNA as a coach. Setting at seven and two, got some big clashes on the way. But to beat a Greensboro team who's not bad in the SoCon, SoCon, beat them by 40 points after losing to Texas Tech. Uh, I know, again, it was a grinder against Texas Tech, but I still think Tennessee's getting better and will continue to go that way. They've got some massive games coming. Look at their schedule actually coming up. They've got USC Upstate on Tuesday, which is going to be a blowout. Memphis, we alluded to. Then they got Arizona, Alabama next back to back. We're going to find out a lot about this Tennessee squad. Yep. Going to have to win at least one, maybe two of those games. It's going to be tough. Arizona, Alabama. Oh, boy. That's fun. And then my third and final shout out is to Jack Lynch, the Iowa transfer down playing for Xavier. He's really led the Musketeers this year. 31 points, 15 rebounds in the win against the cross-tie rival of Cincinnati. That is a heated rivalry that maybe not a lot of people understand outside this region. Arguably, it's a top four rivalry in college basketball. Like you've got – and us, we think Kentucky-Louisville is number one, yeah. right? But either way, you got Kentucky-Louisville, you got Duke-Carolina. This might be number three. I agree. I think I think it's ahead of like Indiana Purdue. I think it's number three. Yeah, only because Indiana's not won here lately. It's been like five years since they even won. But yeah, I'm with you. Xavier Cincinnati is tremendous, and there's legit hatred there. Legit rivalry brawl. Yes. Jack Nunge has been one of the biggest impact transfers in all of college basketball this season. He's right up there with Oscar Shibley. He's right up there with um oh shit at Baylor. I just lost his name. Oh, my God. James Akinjo. Yes, good. He's one of the top five impact transfers this year in college basketball. Yeah, I agree. So, real quick, I got four shout-outs here for you guys. Uh, Fourth one's kind of – I mean, I know I I didn't talk to Josh about this, but it's kind of a collective shout-out. So, my first shout-out goes to Lee Dell from Ohio State. Early on in the season, Ohio State as a team struggled, but Lee Dell hasn't. He was still dropping 20 points a game when he was facing against um, Akron in the first game of season. And he's continued to put up like 20 points per game all season long. He's, like I said, once again, a candidate to win player of the year. In the Big Ten and in the nation, he's one of the best players in the nation. And he had like 30-some points in that 
Oh, God. Who did they? Oh, Wisconsin game. He lit them up. My next shout-out, staying in the Big Ten Conference, Ron Harper Jr., unconscious, 30 points, 12 rebounds, I think it was, against the number one team in the nation, Purdue. He obviously hit the game winner to win this game to upset Purdue on Rutgers' home fort, home court. What a game. What a display by him. And he's definitely one of those talented players in the Big Ten that continues to get better and better each and every game. Third shout out. This is a team. This is two teams collected into one shout out, and it's really just the game, actually. At least the second half. Syracuse versus Georgetown. The second half, final 16 minutes of this game, was one of like the f- most fun I've ever had watching the game. It legit, as I'm watching the, the game, I felt like I was watching an old Big East game. And it just had the Big East feel. DC was rocking. I don't really text too many people when I'm watching games, but I remember texting my dad. I'm like, listen, you're missing a hell of a game down here. Just back and forth, nonstop action. Every time Syracuse would go up, hit a three, or Mina Muhammad would go down, hit an and one layup. Buddy Boham would go down, hit another three. It was wild. I'm telling you, the game was incredible. Fourth shout out goes to everyone in ECB. Yes, um, sir. For helped us along the way because we obviously announced we're partnering up with Manscaped for the next three months, and that's going to keep continue to go for pretty much a whole year. And I can't wait for that. But we also hit another milestone today before we started recording. Not only did we announce we partnered up with Manscaped again, we've hit 800 members in the group, which four years ago, uh, three, four years ago, I never would have thought that at least this early. And it's controlled, by the way. We limit who joins because we want the best of the best we don't want a bunch of shit posters like you guys are all great that's in that group it's 800 loyal members in the group who support everything that we do at ecv podcast and i can't thank you guys enough for helping us achieve this goal with manscape and continue to keep on growing day in and day out our next milestone will be a thousand members and i cannot wait to hit that and i guarantee you that'll probably be coming up here very very soon so right. shout out to everyone. I've got a couple side shout outs too before we wrap this thing up. Shout out started week one in the weekly pick 'em challenge. I will have the standings up here shortly. Um, we have great turnout, a lot of new people vying for rookie of the year. So that's fun. Peyton, we love Ken Palm, right? We've mentioned this for years now. Um, some early trends in college basketball this season. We keep talking about home percentage, but actually it's kind of low right now. But I think there's some factors in that because there's been a lot of neutral site games. Yeah. But home win percentage is only 43%, which seems crazy because it feels like home court's more of that advantage. Um, Three-point shooting percent or percentage is slightly down from last season, 33.2 when last year was 33.8. But three-point attempts per game is up by almost a full percent, up to 38.2% of teams – um, or shots in college basketball this year is from three, which thanks to Villanova's 50 attempts, I think bumped that up <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, home court ratings. So far, early in the year, Ken Palm's uh, metrics and the way they use, the best home court advantage of college basketball right now this season is Colorado. Yeah. How about that? And speaking of which, Tennessee went out there and beat them. Um, or, well, that's just arena capacity. Um, I thought there was another one I was going to – Oh, and the best game of the season, of course, by metrics was so far has been Illinois State over Bucknell in an overtime thriller, 105-100. That had a value of a 4.1 in Ken Palm. So 
If you're not on Ken Palm, it's $20 for an entire year. Sign up if you're a stat nut because we do a lot of our um, research from here, a lot of stats. I love Ken Palm so much. They start having like their player of the year breakdown of rankings and percentages. Great, great stuff. Um, actually, the biggest upset of the year, too, according to Ken Palm, has been Texas Southern's 15-point blowout win over Florida, which makes sense considering they were um, yeah. winless prior to that. <clears throat> so a lot of good stuff on Ken Palm. Got to give a shout-out to them. Hey, let's wrap this thing up with a, a favorite. Bank on it. Bank on it. So I'm going to go. Last week, it was more in towards the future, right? I haven't got one right this season, nope. but I think I'm going to get one right this week. I'm going with the trend number one loses again. How can you say that? Well, we don't know who the number one team is going to be. Uh, well, Villanova Baylor is playing, as we mentioned, here in a couple hours on Sunday when we record this. Yeah. Arguably, the winner of that is going to be the new number one team in America. Because Villanova six right now, Baylor second. The winner of that is going to be new number one. Both play some interesting games this upcoming week. If Baylor beats Villanova and goes to number one, they've got the Oregon game on Friday night on the road, right? Yeah. Or Saturday night, I mean. If Villanova wins on Friday night, they've got the crazy road game at Creighton. Both those are very <laughs> hard games on the road. So I'm saying whether it's Villanova or Oregon, the new number one will lose yet again this week on the road to one of those teams. Bank on it. And also, as we record right now, the Bluegrass Brawl, the Bluegrass Rivalry, and the women's college basketball end of the thing. Kentucky-Louisville playing right now in the KFC Yum Center. I'm just going out on a limb. I don't really believe this, but I'm banking on anyways. Kentucky women's with the upset, the much-needed win, stopping the four-year streak of Louisville. By the way, I love Jeff Walls as a coach. I don't care he coaches at Louisville. I think he's tremendous. But bank on it. Number one, whether it be Baylor, Villanova, takes another L. We'll have a new number one next week to talk about. And Kentucky women's, as we speak right now, will beat Louisville women. Uh, well, you might get one of those. Definitely not both of them because Kentucky women's is actually down 25-18 going to the second quarter. So just a little update on that for you guys. I, I'm so happy you went first and I went second because I got the weirdest bank on it. Pretty much we've ever done. We've when we do bank on us, we normally like a player gets twenty like Marcus Howard gets 30 points in the game. Uh Villanova beats, I don't know, Tennessee by 15 or more, something like that. I got a my first bank on ever involved a Kentucky team. Tyrese Maxey, 25 points or more against Michigan State. He ended up getting 26. That was my first ever bank on I ever got. Last week, my first bank on I've got this season. Was Notre Dame defeating Kentucky, which, by the way, talking about the Pickhams, because I predicted that. Only three of us in the Pickhams predicted that game. Myself, Dave Sheehan, and Dennis Hausman, the only three people in the Pickhams actually predicted Notre Dame to win this game. I'm keeping it in the state of Kentucky. I still think Ohio State beats Kentucky. Kentucky will be down 12 points or more in the under-12 timeout in the first half. Oh, so you're real specific. Real specific. Jeez. <laughs> oh, okay. 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 Under. Keep in mind, first half. As soon as the clock hits under twelve, they go in the under twelve minute timeout. Kentucky will be down to Ohio State, twelve points or more. Okay. Bank on it. Okay. Is that the only one you got? 
Yeah, because it's not much of a bank on it when Louisville just continues to beat Kentucky. So I'm not <laughs> that. Oh, I might, you know, we normally, this doesn't really count. I'm not going to count this, but bank on it. Talking about other sports. Packers beat Bears today. Oh, of course. And Real Madrid beats Atletico in a couple hours. Of it's rivalry week in. And, you know, when we beat the Bears tonight in Sunday Night Football, by the way, we clinch a playoff spot. Yeah. And who owns the Chicago Bears? Aaron Rodgers. Oh, discount double-check that, bitch. Yeah, fuck so the Bears. go, Pat, go. But, again, guys, thoughts and prayers to everybody affected by the tornadoes. Western Kentucky's hit hard. We will try to see if we can come up with some way to help out with the relief fund. We're all about doing the charitable actions here, whether it be the V Foundation or anything we can do to help out. Um, we believe in giving back. So we keep keep your ear, eyes and ears open for that. We will do our best. Special thank you to our niece, Jordan. Again, keep an eye out on her in the next 20 years, because I think if she wants to follow on the path of being a, a broadcast journalist, especially college basketball, she's going to be really good at it. And again, thank you to Manscaped for coming on board. Thank you to J.R. Rowan Company at New View Painting. Hit them up for all your painting needs in the area. And with that, for episode 92, I'm Josh Burton. My name is Peyton Burton. We will see you down the road for episode 93. Till then, stay safe, enjoy time with family, and watch a lot of college basketball. Don't forget Manscaped, ECB, 20% off. Yes, sir. Boom! Boom!